Good morning. This is Ask a Leader, and I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, or the University of California Board of Regents. Welcome to this week's edition of Ask a Leader. Today, um, it's the the morning after the beginning of the Lunar New Year, launching the Year of the Dragon, which, as I said, began yesterday. It'll continue for another eight days. Garden Grove will host the festivities once again put on by the Union of Vietnamese Student Associations of Southern California. You can join the fun with uh, the programs on this scheduled for this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's now their 31st annual. Congratulations. This association proclaims that the Year of the Dragon, as they say, promises to be legendary and full of good fortune and power. Last year, I spoke with Fong Li, the chief organizer, a volunteer, like all of them are, talk about behind the scenes. And this time I'm raising this prospect before it happens so that you can check it out. On my show today, my first guest is anthropology professor Frank Kansian, now exhibiting his main street, that is the UC Plaza photos, uh, over the winter court at the Student Center. And if you missed the opening last Thursday, you can still see his work, which we'll talk about until about mid-March. And on the second half of the show, we'll hear from Daphne Fung, founder and executive director of Californians Against Slavery, and her uh, local coordinator, Christine Kill. And they'll talk about the... um, as I said, the the uh, California Against Slavery, it's a petition qu- trying to qualify for a statewide initiative. We'll be right back after a brief station break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My uh, first guest on the program today is Frank Kansian. And um, we'll start with the plaza here at UCI. It's the center of public life on the campus. And on some days, it can be quite the scene. Um, can Some days, can be fairly quiet, whereas on, on others, it becomes Main Street lined with the canopies and the tables of itinerant merchants, advocates of diverse causes and religions, and dozens of student clubs extending for 300 yards along the pedestrian road that passes through it. And in February of 2009, after lunch with a friend, anthropologist and documentary photographer Frank Kensian stopped in the plaza at the University of California Vine to take pictures of a student campaigning for homecoming queen. Frank, was that a man or a woman? That was a woman. Okay. There's Frank waiting for us now. Two weeks later, he found traveling evangelists interacting with students in the plaza, and he photographed them. About 75 photo sessions later, including two from last year, his files include more more than 3,000 thousand photos of life in on this Main Street USA. The photographs on display feature four groups, which we'll talk about protests along the street, play and performance, and God. Frank Kansian, anthropology professor, emeritus, and documentary photographer, spent the last two years, as we said, capturing this, but that's not 
all he's done. He's done so much more with his body of photography, including work among Italian peasant farmers, farmers in Lacedonia, Avellino, and that was in the, the middle-late 50s, and two books uh, uh, comprising his work uh, around the Chiapas and a larger Mayan community done in the 70s. And then in 2006, capping off his work with Orange County House Cleaners. I hope we get to talk about that near the end here. Done with seven women working in Irvine, Laguna Beach, and Newport Beach. As I said, he's a professor emeritus. He was professor from 1976 to 99 and just occasionally does teach some courses. And we hope that he will be able to post us later on when he's um, enrolled in some more courses. So welcome to the show, Frank Kensian. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Well, let's let's do our radio best to walk listeners through the concept and the feel of your actual installation. You've got four separate sections. Let's talk about each one of those. Let's start with protests. Okay. Uh, protests is actually uh, one of the more complicated ones. Uh, but uh, That's the nature, right? Protests around the plaza. Um, the section has pictures uh, of um, uh, protests on tuition and fees, which are the biggest uh, of all. Um, a section on a, a Black Student Union silent protest, which was right in front of the student center. Uh, and then finally, the, the uh, protest that happened in the spring, which is entitled Protest and Counter-Protest, and that's the uh, Palestinian-Israeli um, pres- uh, uh, conflict, and it's the program presented by the Muslim Student Union uh, with uh, Israel- pro-Israeli counter-protesters. So uh, they're all pretty lively. Uh, the Black Student Union one was lively because no one spoke, uh, and it was in that way. It's the way it grabbed people. Well, Frank, I don't know if you know this or those who've seen it. Uh, no, but in this particular section, I think you were able to capture that the the aspect of the proxy battle going on between the Arab Israeli so called positions, where you catch the not the students but some of the players that are not enrolled on campus, but the ones that are coming from from the L.A. region and you know, immediate to Orange County and beyond. You you picked up some of those people, and I thought, good job, Frank. So the the extra colors of this protest are coming through your photographs. Uh, good. That's what, uh, you know, I do the photographs. I make them, uh, I try to make them fit with what I see. And then I know that people who see them are going to see lots of different things. And that's, I think that's appropriate. Okay. Well, very... And I, and I know that uh, no matter what I do, someone won't like it. And I hope a lot of people will. Oh. Indeed, and it's it's quite the nice setting. It's actually um, next, to, right next to where we talked. We closed last week's show with the blood donation center. So I thought, wow, it's this is a pretty compact <laughs> coverage here. So, folks, after looking at Frank's work, you can go right in and donate a unit. So it, you can get Good a lot idea. done. That center is a center of everything. So, um, so you say that's the most complex section. Then along the street is the next section we get to get glimpses of what's happening on Main Street. UCI. That's right, and that's uh, the pictures of all the pe- lots of everybody who's been there knows there are lots of uh, people tabling. Uh, they're recruiting for their organizations, be it uh, fraternities or clubs of various kind. Um, 
there are about 20 pictures on that uh, section. There are some of vendors as well. Uh, one of the biggest areas uh, of activity on the street is religion. Um, and I just want to make a, 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 a pitch for the, the organizations people uh, that uh, in the dean's office, in the dean of students' office. Yes, please do. Um, they, they, uh, <clears throat> there were 500, this year I checked the other day, 561 uh, student organizations, a uh, few faculty and staff, um, uh, registered on campus, and 56 of those are religious. Let's say just about 10%. Um, religion got in, as, as we'll see later, religion got a section to itself because there's so much, I think, interesting and varied uh, religious activity uh, on the strip. But what's in the pictures, um, I, anything you'd like, I think. Uh, there are some pro little protest things. There are clubs. There are a lot of people selling food. Uh, as everybody knows, and I did eat my way along it various times. Ah. <laughs> I, I love sweets. Uh, and uh, so it's a mix of all those things, religious tables as well, with people coming from outside religious organizations, recruiting, uh, giving information, uh, doing that kind of thing. So it's a lively place, people selling perfume, the motorcycle club, um, the veterans club. Uh, which are also photographs in there, and people buying T-shirts and uh, sunglasses, uh, all popular, popular stuff. But it's just the, the, the core of what it goes on. And it's the, the people of the place are the undergraduates. That's, that's the thing. That, uh, and, and, the, and what the photographs are about, really, uh, are the people. And then along, after along the street is play and performance. That's right. And that's... Uh, I just happened to look at them again this morning, and five of them are dance photographs of various kinds. Uh, one, uh, people performing on the little stage that's on the left when you enter uh, the student center plaza, um, which is one of my favorites. But my very favorite, maybe my favorite in the show, is the first one in that section. It's, it's a belly dancer at iFest, I believe, in 2011. Uh, teaching people how to belly dance. Uh, and there are women, and there are uh, two guys, I think, in it, uh, and they're all trying to learn to belly dance. And they put themselves into various wonderful shapes. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a visual thing. You know? It's a favorite for me, too, yeah. Frank. Yeah. And you've got, you've got a real engaged public that you're p capturing in that composition. Yeah. They really are engaged, right. It's fun. Yes. Um, and so um, then the last one, but certainly not the least, is God. God, right. Oh, God is God. the section there, folks. And for those of you who've just tuned in, we're talking with Frank Kansian, an anthropology emeritus professor at UCI, talking about his exhibit, uh, Main Street, um, at UCI's plaza. Yes, Frank, so about that last of the four sections in your exhibit, God. Well, uh that, again, has some variation. The, the first uh, four photographs are of the traveling evangelist um, that I mentioned uh, that you, uh, at, the, at the beginning, that you mentioned at the beginning, that, that I, in my first one, the second day of photographing there, February of 2009. Um, and uh, they were recruiting, uh, interacting with students, and um, there's uh, uh, 
that there's a there's a one of them is a photograph of a man from uh, the uh, campus club called the Atheist Agnostics uh, and Rationalists, and I want to mention this one particularly, uh, not for that particular club, although it's a very interesting club, and it, and but because uh, there it's connected to the uh, Main Street UCI blog, which is a separate but parallel project that's going on, and and if. Uh, you want to look at the blog, yes. go to uh, www.mainstreetuci.com and then click your way, click on click, uh, and you'll see the blog. But Alex, um, uh, used to Venice, is the uh, person holding the flag, uh, the, the sign that says, Smile, there is no hell. And what you can find on the blog is Alex talking about or writing about the reactions that the evangelists had to his sign, but also the, the reactions that various students had to the sign. Uh, and in a sense, it's kind of the, the ends, the diversity uh, of religion all packed into one. Be, after that, uh, there's a section uh, on Muslim, uh, Muslim the, the daily Muslim prayer, which is across... Uh, from uh, the side door to administration, um, and uh, it chose the prayer, uh, and I was pleased. Uh, when I went to photograph there, I wondered whether I should, uh, I felt like I was in somebody's church, and I shouldn't just barge in and start photographing, despite the fact, of course, it's a public place. So I talked with people and, and talked with the president and took a few pictures and, and sent them so uh, they could see and I was welcomed uh, to come back, and I asked for guidance and, and, and uh, got some, and uh, the pictures represent what came out of that, in a sense, cooperation between me and uh, the, the uh, people who are there daily for prayer. Frank, can we just backtrack, though? With that particular photograph, it is all male in that picture. Were there ever any women that were in, um, in uh, uh, kneeling down in prayer? Uh, well, there are actually three pictures there. Uh, or four, three, four, four, I'm sorry. There's, there's, there are two pictures on, on one board. How can you so, keep track of 3,000 pictures, though, and winnowing them down to those the few uh, there? So, and uh, the, the, the thing I wanted to say is there are women there. In that, that one, well, the one not photograph, in the, first picture, in the separate one. I'm, not in the, not the second, which is a, a couple, but the third picture. Okay. So, uh, yes, please go. Please look. I've got to go back? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I must have riveted there, my so attention. there are women there. Okay. And, and like uh, other... Uh, Middle Eastern religions, uh, the prayer uh, separate. men and women are separated. Yes, yes. Um, Just like in any Orthodox religion, right? observance of that. So uh, about this blog, though, you're taking, um, from where you take the, your installation, uh, you also are, you're getting quite a few reactions, but you want more. So we're going to give everybody a chance to know that they can reach you at www.mainstreamuci.com. And uh, you have a little incentive for them, right, Frank? That's right. I do have an incentive. Uh, we are the, the the blog project is going to finish up at the end of this quarter, probably. And by the way, all the photographs and all the blog materials will go into the archives in the in the library, um, so they'll be part of UCI history. And uh, I'm offering this quarter to give anybody who likes one of the pictures in the show, a copy of the picture, either in print form or in digital form, which they can share with others if they like, um, 
So if you're interested in writing for the blog, please do. And if you're interested in getting a print, uh, the directions are uh, in the show. And they also, when you go on to uh, www.mainstreetuci.com, uh, there's a there's a view click. Quick, click the word review, and you'll see all the pictures that you, you could ask for if you'd like. So uh, have you gotten more takers since the opening? Has Have things picked up on the blog? Number one came in. <laughs> oh, wow. It. Okay, well, and, folks... But I haven't been... I've been out of commission for a couple of days, so I don't know, you know, exactly what's what's waiting for me when I get to work today. Well, thank you for coming back into commission for the <laughs> the broadcast today. Well, I think with uh, such magnanimous treatment that you've given uh, your other subjects in Chiapas and La Sedonia in southern Italy and... Uh, and uh, other uh, the Orange County House Clears on to bring up. Uh, the students were really treated to quite the a special eye behind uh, your lens. So they, I don't know, do they know that you've done many, many other projects over the decades? I doubt there. Uh, the, some people who were in my photo classes knew that maybe, but it's when I taught classes. Of course, the point wasn't to uh, show them uh, what I thought were uh, good photographs and then say do better, yeah. uh, because. That's an if they're beginners, it's it's an invitation to feel like you're not doing it. Uh, so I, I hid my work in in, in essence uh, from the students in my classes. Uh, I doubt that most students know it, and uh, they they got busy lives. My guess is that uh, they have other things to worry about. Uh, but I'd be pleased if they went and saw them, of course. Absolutely, and we'll we'll bring that up at the tail end. But let's talk about your project that you did prior to this one, the major one, the, um, the seven house cleaners in Orange County. You you can break it down by the uh, the ethnicity uh, that um, re- that it represents and what what uh, you learned about uh, that the collaboration that you talked about earlier with the students, how that collaboration worked out with this very personal account of seven women's lives here in Orange County. Um, the House Cleaners Project was, of course, different. Uh, it was similar in the sense that it had both life stories of the women and photographs, and that's what the blog and the photographs mean uh, to the UCI story. And, and, that, and I like to have people speaking in relation to the pictures I'm presenting and speaking in a way <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that an anthropologist usually likes to begin, which is to ask an open-ended question. Uh, and for the house cleaners, it was, please tell me your life story, beginning with when you were little. Um, and they did that. By the way, they were recruited through friends, so there was always, uh, I wasn't a stranger to them in terms of social connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so th- that book has their life stories and <clears throat> and my pictures of them. Five of the women are immigrants from uh, Latin America. Two of them are natives of Orange County, one from northern Orange County and one from Laguna Beach. Um, and one thing that's interesting to me is that I compared, just went out to get some background. Yes, please. In 1970, the first woman, uh, Victoria Rua, came, uh, I believe, in 1973, um, when she came, there were very few, uh, and this is something Orange County residents should remember, there were very few Latin American housekeepers working here. The census said about one in seven just happened to uh, 
be a good fraction for my book, which has seven people in it. By the time, by 2000, uh, it was no longer one in seven. It was six in seven. Um, so that's the kind of change that we've seen in Orange County, and the, and the country has changed, uh, seen uh, in terms of uh, immigration from Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, the house cleaners book for me is good because you you see that uh, you see the individuals, uh, you see what they care about. Uh, you can understand them in in the context of a fairly long statement of their own, uh, and I've often found uh, that's one of the best ways to you communicate about people. Uh, if you have just a little bit of space to, get, to do it, let them tell a life story. So oh. that's what I did. Wow. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm hoping that um, now there's the books have been been published, but are you also still getting chances to to show your pictures in some sorts of uh, galleries around so we can follow up what we see here um, in on that live print? Um, well, there's my website for pictures. Okay, uh, go ahead, Frank. Which is frankcansian.net. Um, and Cansian so is uh, that takes me up to about 2008. Uh, and there's some of the projects, uh, the La Chidonia project, the uh, Gina Cantana or, or uh, Mexican Maya project, and uh, uh, the House Cleaners project, and lots of other stuff. And uh, Frank Cancian, and it's Frank, C-A-N-C-I-E-N dot net. That's uh, where... C- A-N-C-I-E-N, correct? Uh, no, C-A-N-C-I-A-N. Oh, I'm... You'll have, you have me convinced for a minute, but no, no. That's oh, no, not. no, I won't. I couldn't <laughs> possibly. So uh, that's the website, um, Frank Cancian. Right. That's Frank C-A-N-C-I-A-N dot net, where you can see more of the work. And I don't know, do you, do you still have opportunities to, to show these photographs? Because it's, it's much more different to see it, the print out there than even it, it gets flattened in the book. So, yeah, it gets flattened in the book and it gets flattened uh, online sometimes. Those, those online sometimes they look right. great. Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I go, uh, this project I'm trying to finish, I pr- promised that I would prepare all the materials from the UCI uh, Main Street project for the library archives. And my next job is to uh, uh, do a lot of uh, not so much fun filing um, and stuff like that. Uh, oh. And then go, go and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that full time, thank God. I'm, I'm doing other <laughs> things, and including photography. And keeping yeah. shooting photographs. Yes. And yeah. there are there are from time to time occasional quarters where you do lead students through this rich, rich experience of yours as an anthropologist, at one but and first a photographer. So uh, there there will be another opportunity for students who are just drooling to to um, find out what it's like to work side by side with somebody who's who's done it all so over the last. Five, de- five decades, eh? Six decades. I suppose, I suppose it's that long. Yes, I would like to say that I'd be, uh, since I'm not scheduled to teach this course for uh, at present, uh, if there were people who wanted to get together about uh, and talk about the pictures in the, in, in the show, I would be pleased to do that. Okay, uh, and they can reach you at your... the Courtyard Study Lounge would be a good place to do it. Okay, good. Um, so have you been over there while watching people watch your work? Uh, just a bit. Just a bit. Uh, so 
so I haven't uh, I don't I I haven't sat there trying to look like a student. It wouldn't work. Yeah, <laughs> it's like an observer, like you're blending in when you're f- taking right. those photographs. Well, I, that's good to know that. Um, I fortunately we are just about out of time today. I really really appreciate your uh, spending some time and uh, recovering from the latest over there. And uh, it sounds like you're doing better and better. Uh, so um, I wish you well, and uh, we'll. We'll stay tuned for the the next opportunity to either plug uh, the next course, uh, the next exhibit. And uh, thank you so much for your time today, Frank. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. So we'll talk later. um, And after a brief break, we'll talk with the um, two individuals that have been involved in uh, the January Human Trafficking Awareness Month. My guest will be Daphne Fong, founder and executive director of Californians Against Slavery, currently in the petition drive, as I said, and with her will be uh, the project director for Orange County, Kristen Kill. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. This is Claudia Shamba, your host. And we are acknowledging this as January being the National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. My guests for this portion of the show are Daphne Fong and Kristen Kiel. Uh, Daphne Fong is the founder and executive director of Californians Against Slavery, now in the process of collecting signatures for the Californians Against Sexual Exploitation Act, also known as the CASE Act, when we refer to that later on in the show. Uh, It's slated for the November 2012 statewide general election ballot. The ballot measure would revise state law to increase the sentences and fines for human trafficking, adding um, the sex trafficking of minors as a distinct type of trafficking offense, mandate human trafficking training for law enforcement officers, and improve victims' restitution rights. Uh, Daphne Fung started California Against Slavery in the fall of 2009. She's paying her bills as uh, in finance and accounting, but her full-time job since 2011 is uh, volunteering full-time uh, as the executive director of Californians Against Slavery. She has a Bachelor's of Arts from Reed College. That's out in Portland, Oregon. I know about that place. Some of you do, too. And an <laughs> MBA from Mills College up there in the Bay Area. Christine Kill is the senior Program manager supporting CASA's, uh, that's California's Against, uh, against Slavery uh, mission to strengthen the uh, state law against trafficking. She's, um, excuse me, I'm skipping my beats here. Uh, Kristen Kill, she's a senior program manager for CAS, and she's involved um, 
in this uh, effort here in Orange County, uh, where she sees the great change to protect individuals can be achieved with strong policy. She has previously volunteered and worked on ballot initiatives for the humane treatment of farm animals and worked in several nonprofits coordinating volunteers. She's based here in Orange County and comes to us from what city? Um, I'm over in Brea. She's in Brea today. And Daphne is up there in... um, Fremont. In Fremont, California. So they both come to us from those locations. Daphne Fung and Kristen Kiel, welcome to Ask a Leader. Thank you for having us. We appreciate the time. Well, I want to start with um, California's not been getting a very good grade from various organizations with respect to this public policy. Who is the model in this country, Daphne? Well, the model really is, believe it or not, the federal law. And uh, Texas and New York have implemented laws that are pretty strong. And uh, but many, but what really is the standard right now is the federal law. Okay. So um, I'm wondering if uh, are there before these offenses actually occur? Are there instead of adjudicating these offenses, is there a means? Are there models for preventing this kind of exploitation, this sex slavery? Well, it's really a complex issue, and to prevent it, we really have to approach it from many different perspectives. And if, you know, we have to approach it from the preventative side of, of caring for the, the, uh, the, the victims even before they get into the situation, meaning, um, you know, our foster care system, many of these uh, victims come from uh, for the foster care system. So being able to improve our foster system. Excuse me, Daphne. Daphne, excuse me. You're coming in and out a little bit. If you could speak directly to the phone stationary, I hope that your pickup will be even sharper because we want to hear every bit of this aspect, the the complex parts of uh, preventing sexual slavery. Oh, okay. So um, let me hopefully, is this better? This is better, I think. Okay. So I will, um, so preventing this issue really takes uh, approaching the issue from many different perspectives from uh, having a good system to to care for our foster care children, to have being able to educate them in school, to 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 also from the law enforcement perspective is making this a very serious crime, so that the perpetrators of this crime realize that they are really in for a very risky business, and unfortunately, many of these, actually, if not all of them, are not right now in place, properly in place, so that we can, uh, we're able to prevent and even just even lessen the, the rate of increase of this crime. This is the fastest growing crime in our country today. You know, Daphne, I, mean, I was just talking with a, a gentleman about this uh, yesterday, wanted to know what was on my show, and he said it's, it's sort of institutionalized that all sorts of prostitutes are brought in around Super Bowl. Well, they're basically they go where, and first of all, we don't want to call these these victims are victims, and uh, we try to kind of stay away from the word prostitute because the word in itself, like calling them a prostitute, already criminalized them, already makes them the, the perpetrator instead of the victim. Well, that's so what we the, rather call, 
This was the, the so man on the street when he heard me talk about sex slavery. Then he went to that, and so that's what I'm saying is oh, it's it's okay. always being lumped together. And I didn't know if you know in sort of the way one celebrates uh, the the Super Bowl, we don't just break out nachos, but we try to look for you know a a, a labor pool that's going to give us uh, you know uh, extra amenities. But so I'm glad that you did give our listeners giving me uh, a, you know, a rest to distinguish between. But they they do become sex workers, but only at, uh, in a most involuntary way. So. You you were saying uh, making yes. making the it uh, uh, putting out those deterrents as a way of uh, preventing some um, some John or some pimp to um, you know tap into this demographic for their for this this trade. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the football. It's you know the, the, this is it's a business, and the business goes where their demand is. So when you have a big crowd like in a Super Bowl. Obviously, they're going to be all migrating there because that's where the demand is. Wow. And unfortunately, that's the truth. In California, it's a hub for human trafficking because we're so we have such a popul- uh, we have such a large population, and so because and we have a very robust economy, even despite the fact that we are in a recession right now. But we still have a very strong economy, and because of those two factors, you know, a, a lot of people. Um, consider California a hub for their for their criminal activities. Well, you've listed in your literature that California harbors three of the FBI's 13 high-intensity child prostitution areas, and that includes L.A., San Francisco, and San Diego. So th- there's the map, folks. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So um, the... Um, Tell us, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that we don't know about it, that how often this is happening in California. How, how many, each year you say in America, 100,000 to 300,000 American minors are at risk of being exploited. They're, they're homeless. They're, as you said, there's a foster situation that's coming apart. How many, um, how many annually in California can we consider are, are, are being drawn into this involuntarily? Well, you know, the statistics, even the statistics you quoted, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to to really quantify this issue. I can imagine um, mainly because mainly because there's not enough resources to uh, to put into studying this issue, as well as it, it's a very um, it, it's a hidden issue. So even the numbers that you quoted, it's very, um, it's not done very, um, I guess, very scientifically. <laughs> uh-huh. But I can tell you this: that in California. Each year, and this is just from our juvenile arrest record, uh, about over four, about 500 juveniles in California are, arrest, are arrested for prostitution every year. And this, these are just a very small fraction of children who are, uh, who are arrested and booked on this, on this crime. So you can imagine, if you think about you know, how many we haven't arrested, how many we, we haven't touched, uh, in our records, you could tell that we. I mean, I, I, I'm. We could easily go into the thousands just based on our rec- arrest records. Right. It's because like we hasn't been. Go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say it's. It's like how do we quantify a black market? Uh, you know, sector, and it's it's undoable. But you know, you're doing your best with what you've got on the books there with the the juvenile um, arrest records. Yes. Yes. Which is uh, yeah. We have to just project based on what we have, but. You know, I you know, if you go into even in our on our internet and our streets, you don't even have to spend that much time or effort to see if you if you open your eyes to see all the victims out there. 
Yes. And so uh, you have a number of really um, extraordinary um, sort of case studies of what's happened. There's And there's the sliding scale of women that are serving because of what they did with their pimp. Uh, one was killed by their John, and one um, one was able to pull out of this whole uh, downward cycle of her exploitation, and she became an attorney. Which Do you want to give us a couple of, of the case studies? And certainly, Christine Kill, you might want to join in at any time. Um, and, oh, and I want, uh, for those listeners that are just tuning in, we're talking to Daphne Fong, founder and executive director of California's Against Slavery, a campaign to qualify for the fall um, California statewide ballot, and the coordinator for Orange County, Christine Kill. So you were going to maybe give us, both of you, um, a little bit of uh, some case studies to personalize for the listeners what women have been at risk and what's happened to them. Sure. I'll let Christine start us. Sure. And I actually did want to add on. um, Oh, please do. uh, To what you guys were talking about earlier about... um, kind of quantifying the numbers in California. Um, one of our advocates that is a survivor actually goes back to um, goes to juvenile hall to, to mentor girls that are in juvenile hall. Um, and she had told us that the majority of girls there were they're on prostitution charges, um, which I think is telling of um, how many girls, underage girls, minors, are getting, are involved in, in uh, prostitution. Okay. Um, as far as uh, the case studies, um, Carissa Phelps, she's one of our um, advocates and, and spokespeople, um, and she had her start when she was about, I think, 12 to 14 years old, um, where she was basically um, kind of out on the streets and recruited by an older man and, and ended up being um, beat and, I believe, sold for crack cocaine um, in a motel. Um, she was in and out of juvenile hall and basically was connected with a mentor who really helped her to get um, out of that lifestyle and was able to move on to become an attorney and, a, and an advocate for um, for human trafficking victims. Oh, she's a marvel, and she's actually, she's been all over the press. I wouldn't mind having her on this program. She's been in the media as a as an amazing example of a turnaround, but that's, that's the best that can happen. Uh, the others haven't made it out in... Uh, in any, um, I mean, in the, in the most disagreeable way. I mean, one having, I mean, lots of them are de- uh, dealt with. I mean, they're 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 snuffed out for good. Or um, right. and then one of them was had her sentence commuted, um, not commuted but reduced. I guess the the life term was commuted to a, a probation after so many years. That's Sarah Cruzan. And what's the status with her at this point? Unless you, or you might want to give me a little, give the listeners a background about uh, her situation. Sure, sure. So Sarah Kazan is right now serving 25 to life in Chichilla. So she, what, she, what happened was when she was 11 years old, she met a pimp who was 20 years her senior. And this is and, Daphne Fung talking, folks. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, this, and she basically was convinced that this guy was uh, going to take care of her. So be, between, But he was actually, in fact, between the year, uh, uh, ages of 11 and 13 years old, he was actually pruning her while sexually abusing her at the same time for what they call their life, right? That's what the term they call, and which is basically uh, uh, sexual exploitation. And 
she uh, between twelve uh, th- uh, between thirteen and sixteen years old, she was sold by this pimp. A- at the age of sixteen, she shot him to death, and he uh, she was tried in court in Riverside as an adult, and she was given life without parole. So about two years ago, a, a bunch of activists, including California Against Slavery, um, lobbied for her um, for her clemency. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get her. Uh, uh, out of prison, but we were able to get her sentence reduced. We're still working um, to get her out of prison because we don't believe that she deserves to be there. She's been there for 17 years now. She's been there longer than most cold-blooded murderers <laughs> out there. So we're we really there's a website called freesarah.org that if any of your listeners are interested, they can go and visit and sign a petition for her to be released as well. Sarah with a S A R A. I don't know how many other Sarahs might be uh, have their uh, website for um, for a political action, but so it's freesarah.org. dot org. So, um, well, I uh, want to. Are there now? Then there was Bridget Gray. That she had uh, her uh, a different outcome. Yes, and Bridget Gray was um, Bridget Gray was trafficked between uh, the ages of fourteen, and she. Uh, at the year, uh, she was she stayed in it and she, she tried to get out of it for a little while at age nineteen. This was in the Sacramento area. Yes, in the Sacramento area, and went back uh, because it's it's really it becomes addictive as well. I mean, it becomes because all your psychology is changed, and you really believe they, we, all these girls were told that once a hoe, always a hoe, that, that that's your destiny, and. Well, and it's really, it was ingrained, the brainwash is ingrained in their mind. So Richard Wade basically at 22 years old was strangled to death by a John in Las Vegas and her body was thrown out like a piece of trash um, in the middle of the hallway of their motel. Oh my and goodness. She's definitely, she's, she's not atypical of what happens to these victims. What happened to the, the perpetrator? The perpetrator, the, the, the person who was, the John who killed her was arrested and, and tried, but her parents was never, you know, the people who put her out there, they're still at large. Well, I'm just trying to compare if Sarah Kuzan is uh, serving, you know, such the long sentence, but that we don't know no. what, the, what the John sentence was or how, he, what, how to compare Oh, you know, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Um, I, I don't believe they got that person got life as much as Sarah did. I, I don't have the uh, actual sentencing for So that's a particularly per- perturbing feature then, a, a, a double standard. These girls are already down and out with a, a, being a part of a lower socioeconomic uh, dem- uh, uh, demographic and uh, then not being even adequately uh, represented with the kind of history of exploitation they've experienced. And um, it's they just never seem to be able to get out from under that um, huge disadvantage. Absolutely. Well, I would like to find out, speaking of uh, disparities, so why is the California legislature not doing its job in passing this public law and uh, establishing public policy? Why is it uh, a petition, an initiative uh, organization movement, uh, instead of uh, the representatives doing uh, the bidding for these women that are at large, at at risk, at large too? Well, um, who's who's advancing this in the legislature? Well, 
who do we applaud and um, and why aren't we applauding more? Well, the, the truth is that um, even even our legislatures who want to advance this issue, uh, it's not getting very they're not getting very far because uh, unfortunately this is not a platform issue for politicians. And we California Against Slavery has been involved um, in some some lobbying in Sacramento for the last two years, and we've seen bill after bills either being killed or being watered down to and a, a very a much lesser uh, uh, legislation uh, time over time. And unfortunately, we were told over and over again that increasing sentencing, uh, protecting children against perpetrators, uh, putting them behind bars, that currently is not a priority right now in Sacramento. So that, that's, the, that's the reality that we live with. And we believe that California voters feel differently, that we want to protect our children, we want to, we want to en- enact justice, despite the fact that you know, we, may, we may have other issues in California, but this is torture of children, and this is something that we as a state have to, have to deal with it, and we ha- we're willing to deal with it and face it. And where, uh, Daphne and uh, Christine, where does the, the Californians against... Um, Sexual Exploitation Act, where does that uh, draft come from? Who generated that? Christine, you want to answer that question? Christine Kill, are you there? Yes, I'm here. So uh, do you, where where was this draft, uh, where did it come from? Well, I believe that, um, Daphne, you had gone around and talked to different organizations and talked to different um, legislators and gotten their feedback um, and kind of used the skeleton of a law um, that had attempted to be passed earlier um, and kind of filled in all the details um, with feedback from basically um, people that work on human trafficking cases. And uh, do you want to yes. name names? Yes, Daphne, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I, first of all, I do want to let the audience know that they can go to caseact.org to look at our petition and uh, the full text is in the petition. So the, the, uh, so the website is case act, C-A-S-E, act as in action, so caseact.org. Now, what the, the legislation was really built exp- uh, from a lot of work. To, um, we, we actually have, a, uh, we have prosecutors who, uh, who helped us. We have one prosecutor in particular, um, Charmaine Bach, who really who volunteered her time to write to help us write this legislation, and she's she's a nationally known human trafficking prosecutor. She's based in Alameda County. Now we have uh, we also shopped it around, and we also enlisted different uh, policy groups like Polaris Project and um, and, and and various uh, experts in in human trafficking laws to to put uh, their thought into this writing. And of course, we also our, our funder Chris Kelly, who is the founder of Save a Phoenix Foundation. He himself is a lawyer, and he has been working on legislation to put uh, on uh, to protect people against online predators for many years. So he also helped in writing the legislation. So our our takeaway message then is for people that um, you can get more information. And I want to make sure we. I think is it a case. Uh, sensitive um, website, so I make sure I pr- um, make. Uh, no, it's not. It is not okay, but it's C A S E 
actcaseact.org for more information, including the actual uh, language of the bill. And so how many, um, how many uh, signatures do you need to qualify for the uh, fall election, general election ballot? We need a total of 800,000 registered voter signatures. And I'm happy to announce that in the first four weeks that we have this campaign, we have exceeded our weekly goal by, by over 40%. So we're, going, we're doing really, really well. Good. All right. Yeah, yes. But we definitely need everybody. Every signature counts. So we need everybody to lock onto caseact.org to sign the, the petition. And, um, my goodness, that's something, um, it's, it's an extraordinary effort that you're doing and putting, putting yourself out there, Daphne, uh, as a volunteer, Christine, you're, uh, working diligently along here. And this is, I actually, I met Christine at the, the, the form, farmer's market here in Irvine. And so they're out and about where a lot of people meet. So are, are you on, are you on campus at UCI's campus as well, Christine? We haven't been on campus. Uh, actually, I was there last week at the um, was the MLK Forum and Volunteer Fair. Um, so we're at that event interacting with students and other organizations and um, trying to get some students involved with volunteering and interning. Um, and I would really encourage everybody to go to our website. Um, we do have a calendar um, of local events. So if you do want to go out and interact with the community and and talk to people about human trafficking and really learn about what's going on in your community. Um, I would really encourage you to come out and come and volunteer with us. Um, so we are out every weekend, um, almost, and we have events almost every single day on our calendar throughout the state um, to go out and work with other volunteers and, and learn more. Um, we do have a human trafficking task force here in Orange County. Um, it's a very active group, and it's a wonderful place as well to learn what is happening locally. Well, very good. I want to uh, close this interview now. It's a time for the next program. Uh, I appreciate both Daphne Fung and Christine Keel for coming um, to our Ask the Leader today. Uh, Christine Keel is coordinating for Orange County, and uh, Daphne Fung is the founder of the effort, uh, and she's the executive director of the Californians Against Slavery Now. Uh, as I said, in the process of collecting signatures, they're meeting their goals, folks, and uh, if you're interested, you can help them uh, along that way. Well, I uh, want to thank you both. Good luck to you, and um, keep leading us in your example of mobilizing and uh, looking after those less fortunate. Thank you for having me. Thank you so Take much. Take care. Take care. Well, I want to wish um, I want to wish everyone a happy Lunar New Year, and I thank you for joining us today. Um, next week, Adam O'Neill has been kind enough to offer to substitute for me. I'm going to be out next week, and the earlier broadcast he's going to play for you are my guests uh, previously, Jerry Wagugi and Ali Shakiri, talking about life during uh, and after their harrowing ordeals in Kenya in 2005 and Iran. 2008 respectively. Their plights are being repeated by their compatriots over and over again with actually even uh, higher stakes. We'll be back, uh, as I said, next week. Stay tuned for George Rosales with George Hadahat. Bye for now. Although he may not be the man Girls think of 
to my heart He carried